In the name of one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, at least this week you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, it's a familiar topic today. The topic is temptation, uh, and it's something I think that we should all um, be able to identify with, and that should resonate with us to some degree. We have placed before us in the gospel today the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, and it comes immediately after there's a there's a sharp transition that takes place. It comes immediately after Jesus' baptism. Right after Jesus' baptism, as he comes up out of the water, uh, the scriptures tell us that the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus as a dove. Uh, And Jesus hears the word spoken, You are my son, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. And from that sort of highest uh, of highs, those words of affirmation, those words of love, we hear that immediately after that, Uh, The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And among the many things that we hear uh, is that the fact that that same Spirit um, that had just descended upon Jesus now leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. One of the clear things that we see in that is that this is not accidental. Um, This didn't just suddenly happen. This is something which was happening within the plans and the purposes of God. And we see that as Jesus um, is led into the wilderness, he is tempted um, by the devil. And it brings to you and to me um, the question, what um, do we do with temptation? Uh, Is there a way uh, we can overcome it? Is there hope um, for you and for me? Years ago, uh, I can remember uh, vividly, I I can still picture it today. It was shortly after Paul and I were engaged and we were in Charleston, South Carolina, and I was down on the market with some buddies of mine, and we are at this uh, sort of restaurant slash club called T-Bones. And we were hanging out, and, uh, you know, I guess we were, I don't know, 23-ish or so. We were having a couple of beers, listening to the Futch Brothers. It was, a, it was a big time. And there was this gal that I knew. I'd known her in graduate school. We used to talk all the time and standing there with my buddy. And she runs up to me, and she gives me a big hug, and she kisses me right here. And I thought... That didn't feel bad. Um, and she says, oh, it's so great to see you. I, I'm just, I haven't seen you in a while. It's so great to see you. Gosh, so much has happened. Uh, I've, I've broken up with my boyfriend. But hey, wait right here a minute. I want to go get my friend and come back. Uh, and I want to introduce her to you. And I can remember uh, at that moment, not by any wisdom of my part, but I just I walked out the door. I just left um, right away. I thought, you know what? Nothing good um, can happen here. Get out, get out now. Uh, and, and as I say, I, you know, it's one of those things, I, I remember it uh, to this day, and I, and I share it with you because, you know, sometimes it's great, isn't it? Um, it's easy, it's clear, it's red flagged um, right in front of you when, when t- temptation comes your way. But part of the challenge is as well, of course, sometimes it's uh, insidious and, of course, easily rationalized. Uh, and how easily, easily we rationalize um, our sins and our temptations and our shortcomings. You know, I have, I have a need for this. Um, I have a right um, for this. We use all sorts of different means and ways um, to affirm ourselves in what we're doing. Uh, but part of the challenge is as well, of course, is often we know full well what we're doing. Uh, we know full well we shouldn't be doing what we're doing, and yet we can't seem um, to stop ourselves as we go forward. We don't go forward ignorantly. We go forward powerlessly. 
And it's what Paul talks about, the oft-quoted passage uh, from Romans 7, when Paul talks about the challenge of the human condition. And Paul writes to them, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul uh, encapsulates the challenge and the struggle and the trial of the human condition. Uh, And he also goes on to point to the hope and the answer. Right after he writes those words, he goes on to say, Thanks be to God um, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, The proof of Paul's words are seen in the temptation which we heard from just a moment ago. And what we see as Jesus is led into the wilderness, what we see as Jesus is tempted by the devil, is that Jesus is able to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. Jesus is able to secure a victory um, for you and for me that we can't secure with our own best intentions and with our own best efforts at self-improvement and behavior modification uh, and all of those various things. We see that there is a power made available to you and to me, but it comes not from within us, it comes from without us. It comes as a gift through what Jesus has done for us. Now, good advice uh, is a great thing when it comes to our sins, our struggles, our trials, our temptations. Know your triggers. Know um, when you're vulnerable. You know, know what typically spurs things on. Know situations to avoid. And all that's well and good and good advice and all that kind of good stuff. But that's not sufficient, is it? Um, we need more than good advice. We need more than good intentions. We need, ultimately, to be delivered. I came across recently... A couple of great articles um, in the garden written by Russell Brand. And that, y'all may remember who Russell Brand is, actor, uh, comedian, forgetting Sarah Marshall was, uh, was one of his. You know, he's been in uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of movies. But he writes uh, as a person who has struggled with drug addiction over the years. And he wrote recently uh, on the death of Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, and y'all remember, sadly, tragically, a uh, wonderful actor recently died, died of a drug Overdose, and, and he writes, Russell Brand writes with particular insight and compassion because, as he says, I, I'm, I'm a person um, that's a recovering addict myself. I understand the challenges. But he said in these articles in The Guardian a couple of particularly interesting and insightful things that apply to what it is that we're reflecting on today. And he talked about it in his, in his humorous way. He says, you know, well, it's one thing with if it's uh, Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus. Uh, he says, you know, we can have a certain um, delight at the Faustian justice um, when they fall. But he said, basically, it's a little different um, with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he says, the, he says these words. He said, the troubling component of this sad loss is the complete absence of hedonism. Like a lot of drug addicts, probably most who go over, Hoffman was alone when he died. This is an inescapably bleak circumstance. It is easy to equate addiction with indulgence and immorality. The great actor dying alone denies us this required narrative praying. He goes on, he says, The reason I'm so non-judgmental of Hoffman or Bieber and so condemnatory of the pop cultural tinsel that adorns the reporting around them is that I am a drug addict in recovery. 
So like any drug addict, I know exactly what Hoffman felt when he went back out. And then he says these words, which I think really get to the heart of the matter. Uh, He says these words. He says, in spite of his life seeming superficially great, in spite of all the praise and accolades, in spite of all the loving friends and family, there is a predominant voice in the mind of an addict that supersedes all reason, and that voice wants you dead. This voice is the unrelenting echo of an unfillable void. Let me read that to you uh, again. In spite of all the loving friends and family, there is a predominant voice uh, in the mind of an addict that supersedes all reason, uh, and that voice wants you dead. And he goes on and he says these words. He says, The mentality and behavior of drug addicts and alcoholics is wholly irrational until you understand that they are completely powerless over their addiction, and unless they have structured help, um, they have no hope. What I think is so particularly uh, insightful about what he says, because he gets to the issue of the human condition, the voids um, which you and I fill uh, and experience, our inability uh, to save ourselves, an inability um, for us to have power uh, in our lives. And the realization of that has the possibility um, to lead us to the one who is sufficient. As Jesus is led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, um, there's a reliving that's going on here. You remember the people of Israel as they were led um, out of their bondage in Egypt into the promised land. They spent 40 years wandering through the desert with God's grace uh, and guidance as he provided for them, as he led them, as he shaped and fashioned them. And, of course, you remember that again and again they failed. Uh, Again and again um, they fell short. Again and again um, they pressed God. Uh, They pressed God to act in the ways that they thought that God should act. They pressed God to act in the time frame in which they thought God should act in. And how familiar is that to you and to me? Uh, Our desire to press God to act in the ways that we think he needs to act. To press him to act in the time frame in which we feel like he needs to act. And one of the things we see in the temptation of Satan of Jesus is the temptation for Jesus um, to reset the time frame, but also to reset the way in which God will ultimately come to deliver us. Satan sows those seeds of doubt. If, if you are the son of God, uh, and of course Jesus responds to that with a certainty, it is written, and Satan is referred to initially as the tempter, the one attempting to sow seeds of doubt. And what we see in that is this. If Satan could have just come right in and overpowered Jesus and bulldozed him, he would have. But we see that he does not have the power to overcome Jesus. He has to try and tempt. He has to try and deceive. He has to try and lead him astray. But what we see throughout all of these temptations is the faithfulness of Jesus, the obedience of Jesus, the love and the grace of God where he will not um, be sucked into those temptations because he's come um, to be faithful even to death, death on a cross, that you and I might be delivered that he might overcome the power of sin and death that we can never overcome on our own, that he might be able to fill the voids um, in yours and my life that are so prevalent and that we'll never be able to fill um, on our own. We see in Jesus uh, a faithfulness, even unto death on our behalf, um, that you and I might be people who are forgiven, that you and I might be people who are restored. So what the cross says um, to you and to me is this. God's awareness of our need, the depth uh, of our sin, 
And what our enemy and evil one would love for us to do is to be so consumed uh, with the, our faults and our sins and our shortcomings, so sure that there's no way that God could have the grace and the mercy for a person like you or me who falls again and again and again. What our enemy, the evil one, would love to do is to isolate you, to lead you to fall into despair. Does God really love you? Could he really forgive you um, again and again and again? Would he really be willing to restore a person like you? Uh, the sins and temptations and the lies, but he would love, the seeds of doubt, which he would love to sow in our hearts. But the amazing words of the cross as well are God is well aware of the depth and the significance and the repetition of the sins and the shortcomings in our lives. And we see that he's more than sufficient to address that and to extend to you and to me forgiveness, grace, mercy, a power which comes from him and not from us. You and I are given a freedom by his love and grace poured out for us that those voids um, might be filled, that we might be delivered in a way that we cannot deliver ourselves. Being Christians, being people who are loved by God, who are saved by God, does not mean a life which is absent of trials and temptations and failures. But what it does mean is that we have a hope and that we have a security in the midst of them and through them and above them. Because Jesus has once and for all secured the victory for you and for me. And the invitation goes out to us, look not to our, yourself, but look to Jesus and be saved. And we remember that and give thanks for that. In the name of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.